Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It has been far too long since I've steered the ship on this Great Shot Podcast, the original Crack Rackets Podcast, of course. And the reason for that fact is that there's been a lot going on both in the tennis world and in our Cracked Rackets world. Of course, we've tried to play catch up with all the action that's happened of late on the ATP and WTA Tour. Certainly, the French Open kept us occupied, and now we're into week two of the grass court season. Of course, if you're looking for recaps of all the action that's happened on the tour level, go head over to our mini break podcast feed. We have you covered. I think we've hit eight episodes in the past 10 days, something like that. So I believe any tournament coverage you are looking for, you will be able to find over on our mini break podcast feed. But of course, if you listen to this week's podcast or last week, you will have heard me promise the fact that we are well aware action is not only happening at the tour level this summer. You've got challenger events happening across the globe, ITF events as always. There's at least 10 of them happening in any given week of the season. And of course, with the college tennis team season now officially in the books, we see so many players with collegiate ties competing out on the pro circuit. What we want to do here on today's podcast is discuss some of those players going out competing, having success right away. Of course, those pro tennis players oftentimes become the players you see ascend the top 100 rankings. I only need to point to the Cam Norries of the world, John Isner's of the world, Kevin Anderson's of the world at late to show how collegiate tennis players can compete in significant ways on the men's side. Of course, on the women's side, you have two Grand Slam finalists in Danielle Collins and Jennifer Brady, both who played more than one year of collegiate tennis. As such, we think it's a valuable topic and something we want to discuss here 
here with more frequency throughout the course of the summer. Of course, it also always helps to have a little college tennis news to discuss on this podcast. And thankfully, we do as the 2023 ITA Men's Kickoff Weekend Draft is now officially in the books. That kickoff draft always sneaks up on you. And of course, on Wednesday, we learned which teams would be competing in the 2023 kickoff weekend. We know where everyone's heading. Of course, tomorrow we'll have our women's kickoff draft. And of course, we'll be back on this podcast to cover all of that. But with all of that in mind, if you're going to cover the 2023 ITA kickoff weekend draft, if you're going to try and find, let alone cover, all of the collegiate players competing on the pro circuit this summer, you better have some help. And thankfully, I don't know if I'd call him help. I'd call him the help we have on this podcast, the man behind all the numbers, the man whose website is an essential resource to college tennis fans everywhere. Of course, you know him best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula. Predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. And normally, I refer to him as a post-prime Greg Maddox, but I think for the first time in 2022, he joins this podcast completely healthy and looking trimmed down. It is our friend, Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. It is always a pleasure to see your smiling face. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. A little college tennis news to go along with all the, uh, you know, all the collegians getting out in the pros for the summer and, uh, and yeah, you know, finding some time to get the workouts in, you know, I noticed you, you saw that felt figure in the, uh, in the zoom. (laughs) Yeah, no, look, the jawline looks good. And the way I know it looks good is that I can see it which is rare given normally you've got a beard. But again, I see a defined Chris Halioris neck. And a lot of times, because, you know, you like to rock out with the mohawk, uh, so I'm trying to think of your comparison. Kurt Russell, when he was age, whatever age you are, that would be my comparison of what you do with your like hair. Like state from New York or something? Yeah. <laughs> See, I knew if I threw in Kurt Russell, you'd get the reference and you'd have a good movie for me. Yes, that's exactly uh, what I'm thinking right now. But no, you look good, my friend. It's good to hear your voice. We haven't spoke since. Have we spoken about the 2022 NCAA champions on the podcast? I don't think we have. I don't no, think we, not at all. Yeah, we didn't have that platform for you. We spoke privately, of course. We haven't talked about all the coaching news, so I'm looking at my outline right now, and I just made an additional note. Coaching news. Make sure we discuss that here Ooh. on today's show. But you have to remind me what's public and what's not. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I won't, and that way our listeners will really enjoy this show. But I'm going to give you – Two minutes on the clock. And Super Producer Daniel Westoff, I'll ask you to get the sound effect and start the stop clock for us. Your reaction to the Virginia Cavaliers winning the championship. Ben Shelton, Harper, Ciamara, Texas, Peyton Stearns, NC State. We haven't given you the platform. I'm going to give you two minutes on the clock, Chris. The floor is yours. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm probably one of the least surprised given that on our, you know, probably second to last pod we did heading into NCAAs, I said Virginia was, you know, I called them as probably my my third favorite. Like I wanted to pick three teams and they were all in the same quarter leading in, right? And it was Florida, Baylor, and Virginia. Uh, and, and yeah, Virginia, I, I, that was just unbelievable the way, I mean, they rolled through as easily as Florida did last year. I mean, they just steamrolled everybody. Maybe not, you know, 
maybe not the we didn't drop a singles point, but it was pretty darn close. I don't think they dropped more than a point in any match. They just, I mean, they took care of business. And yeah, I mean, how how cool to see that after after Pedroso takes over, gets his first recruit, Gianni Ross, and then has him hang around the entire time, and he ends up being the one that gets to clinch, uh, you know, that that for them. I mean, that that was great. Uh, We've all been watching Senate hearings, so I'm going to take up your time, but I'll afford it back to you as they do in the hearings in the Senate. Uh, I'm so happy you brought up the Gianni Ross first recruit because Gianni Ross being the first recruit is the new Ben Shelton clinching for his dad. Like that's yeah. that's the new storyline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's great. Obviously, it's great for Pedros. I mean, he had big shoes to fill, clearly, right? Uh, and so uh, to for him just to be able to to obviously fill it and then fill it with, Hey, it's the guy, it's the classes that I started bringing in. And obviously we know what he's brought in since then. And that team, you know, you look at them and uh, I mean, coming off an NCAA title and, you know, outside of say Gianni uh, somehow a 97 year old Barbotzer has a year left, I think, <laughs> um, you know, everybody else is or could be back. Um no, no, everyone's it, back. Everyone it, but Gianni is back. And I think Jackson Allen might be gone as well, but everyone else is back. Yeah. So so clearly coming off what they just did, you know, we in the way too early preseason number one already, right? I mean, it was just yeah, that that was phenomenal. The uh, you know, I, I loved some of the storylines from the tournament, though we, you know, a, a lot of people, as you said, kind of called as maybe their sexy upset pick Kentucky. Kentucky making a nice run. Uh, that, you know, that was, that was, that was fun to, fun to see, you know, it's, in, it's good to see some teams like that, that we have not seen get that far or make a good run that weren't, you know, and just the fact that it was like the bottom half, the top eight, all make it where you think, but then it's almost, I think all, but I think four or five was flat, like what Ohio state made it over mission, but everybody then a six, seven, eight, right. Yeah. Not, not your top three. That was, that was, uh, you know, kind of fun where it had been for the most part, chalk leading up to the final site. Yeah, now I, a lot said there, and we'll stick with the men's side for now. I'm going to rapid fire through these questions. You, and again, I have 38 minutes left until I have to go do something for Super Producer Daniel Westoff. So we actually do have a time limit to this podcast for once. I know, rare things. You want to hear a great joke you'll like. So on Tennis Bets Hitting Winners, which is, of course, the show I'm fortunate enough to get to do on the Tennis Channel YouTube channel with my friend Gil Gross, Kale Hammond, Mike Haston, and others. Gil, when introducing me now on the show, calls me the fake editor-in-chief and I laugh and I go why do you say that and he goes because Cracked Rackets has never edited anything and I was like that's I was like, that's pretty good Gil I was like that's kind of funny I was like you're not wrong but so we do have a time limit here on today's show the only things we edit out are the ones where we're like whoops can't say that publicly um, and we may have that happen here today on the show rapid fire through some of the men's things you mentioned Virginia Florida we said that was the championship match were you frustrated by the amount of indoor tennis? Yes or no? Yes. And so is, I mean, I have told John Parsons this to his face, so I don't mind saying this on the podcast, or maybe I haven't said this to his face yet, but I will the next time we speak. I thought his piece on the state of college tennis broadcasting was spectacular, so informative, and again, did an excellent job of framing where college tennis coverage is at compared to where other comparable sports in the collegiate ranks are at as well. 
I thought he was too harsh on Champagne as a host site. Obviously, I have particular affinity for the Illinois tennis program. I happen to think Champagne as a location. Again, the outdoor facility is beautiful. There's plenty of room for people to feel comfortable, have space, and watch the tennis in an enjoyable fashion. Obviously, he doesn't love watching through a fence. I get that. As media, we were able to go find some perched views as well. That helped. Is Midwest location in general disqualified for you? I know Colette Lewis just wrote an outstanding piece for TennisRecruiting.net talking about moving the NCAA host site to one final location. There's a lot of rapid-fire questions linked into that. It's not going to be a rapid-fire answer, but where are you with that whole host site conundrum? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not opposed to to Midwest. Uh, you know, host sites, if you will. I do think. Uh, on the subject of Illinois, honestly, I, you know, the, the two big drawbacks are that when you have that many schools there in the, and you have a, you know, a high likelihood or a propensity to have indoor matches, only having six courts and, and some rough viewing indoors makes it very difficult. However, I, I'm, I'm totally on board with the, the prison yard view. I mean, yeah. the, the chain link, and that's, you know, it, it is what it is. Yard view. That's good. Either yeah, I, you, I mean you're looking through a you feel like you're in prison. You're looking. First of all, you know who could brand the hell out of that? Brad Dancer. Say welcome to the prison yard. Anytime yeah. you play outdoors, like, are you kidding me? Get the fans going. That's Brad. That's free right there. Don't you? Have, you don't even have to Venmo Chris for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, but I would like to see whether even if it was temporary. I don't know how you build something temporary to get up over that over that height. But yeah, I, I think from a fan's perspective. You'd like to be able to have a, you know, a better view. But so the answer would be you let fans in the middle because you know how it's four banks of three courts is you put bleachers in the middle and you let fans there. But then the fans are on top of the court and then it's tougher for the players like that is the designated fan section. That to me is the easy answer. I know that's a very Illinois specific problem. Yeah, well, I mean, it is and it isn't. There are there are I don't know how. I'm not sure what the practicalities of that would be for an NCAA tournament with the number of fans you'd have. Yeah. There are a lot of schools that do that during the season, uh, yeah. right? I mean, I've I've been to places where, you know, when I go watch a match at the University of Kentucky, you can walk right out onto the bleachers that are in between the courts and mm-hmm. and kind of do your 180, sit there and watch one court, 180 degrees and watch the other court and, uh, you know, and do that from the from bleachers in between courts. I think that's, I mean, that's okay it's only going to work to a limit when you have uh, as many fans as you might have for NCAA. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think those are some things to be solved. Maybe they can look at trying to solve some of those, some of those issues, but from the location, I'm not totally against the location. I'm sure there are plenty. It depends on where you want to draw Midwest, Oklahoma state's beautiful. Do you call that Midwest? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, don't. Uh, as the authority, I had a roommate who always called himself the authority on authorities. I'm going to be the authority on what's in the Midwest. Oklahoma, if if Louisville is not in the Midwest, I consider Indianapolis the South at this point. But Oklahoma, I was going to say, like not. Kentucky, even though people will call it the Midwest, that's not the Midwest. It's, uh, it's uh, absolutely. Know. I think Louisville could be annexed into the Midwest. I think that's a conversation for a different time. It's far too civilized there to be the South. That's a joke. That's a joke. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, Louisville has a lot of Midwest qualities is what I'm trying to say. But more broadly, 
the alternative here and the clear-cut answer, and we talked about this with Colette, and we've talked about this with coaches to the point where we feel comfortable saying it on the podcast, the individual tournament's going to move. It's going to move. It may not be as soon as 2023, that 2023-2024 season, but it could be as soon as that. I think it'll be no later than 24-25 or maybe because I think 25 is in Waco. I know. I think they know who the 2025 host site is. I think perhaps the next one they book will be booking just a team event. But more broadly, the point I'm trying to make here is if you get rid of the individuals, you can have a rain delay day and you can play outdoors. That's the obvious answer here. The reason we can't do that right now is because there is no delay, is because you right away the next day have to start the individuals. And by the way, I do believe as soon as next season, and this might be breaking news here, no, I think Colette Lewis reported it on our last podcast. Sorry, Colette, for stealing your scoop. And she said it on this show. There is going to be a day off between the team event and the individuals next season, and that does build in a day for the rain. Now, I will say this. What was the day? Was it women's quarterfinal day? I believe it was where they were just like, we're playing indoors. And they said that from the start. And from that perspective, you know, that night match was Oklahoma who clinched 4-3 over A&M or maybe it was Duke NC State who ended up playing outside. But we were done at a reasonable hour every night. Like to Illinois' credit and the NCAA committee's credit, other than a little bit of doubt on that first men's quarterfinal day, they had their act together. They were anticipating the weather. They scheduled for the weather. They were ready for the weather. Now, I think what this also comes down to, and again, this was the premise of Colette's piece. Wow, we are really into it here. We're not going to waste too much more time on this, I promise. But it's also, should it be one site? We see the success of the crowds drawn in Norman, in Oklahoma City, for baseball, for softball. Eric Buderak on Twitter made the point in response to Colette's article, you know, more than anything else, they want the, if you want this on TV, you know, the USTA will pay for it if it's at the national campus. As such is Orlando the spot. Yes, you have rain in Florida, but the rain dries off in 20 minutes, and there's not a great indoor facility, but you feel like Orlando certainly is the sort of facility that could accommodate this place year in, year out. It is the USTA national headquarters. If the USTA is going to be responsible for college tennis the way that they are, it's not unreasonable to ask for the national championships to be there. Of course, Athens, Stanford, you know, there are a lot of Athens with the history, of course, is the other one that stands out. I guess this will be my final question to you with all of those factors in mind. Are you a one-site guy? Like, would you want it in Athens every year, in Orlando every year, or do you like the rotations? I'm I'm generally okay either way. I'm okay with the rotation if we can set up a, a known set rotation of qualified sites not like we go through this oh people put in a bid and it, it could go anywhere kind of thing yeah i think cracking yourself into that rotation should be pretty difficult and it should be like hey georgia's a site the usta campus is a site if if you want to go that route i'm also uh, frankly okay if i was if i was a one-site guy to me the only two sites it could be are the usta national campus or athens uh yeah. i mean i i and i understand you know that sure there's a little favoritism there i mean you go to athens you're gonna have a home crowd for a for a school that's generally got a pretty good team and a good chance of making it um and, and i get it it's not like you know you don't see omaha in the world college world series uh yeah. but well so, we did so just get, see by the way oklahoma win the softball and what was that in oklahoma city is that where the softball is or are they yeah, are in norman yeah or something yeah. crazy like that I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think that was on their campus, but, yeah. uh, 
but yeah, I, you know, and frankly, I, I would actually kind of love, I, I know people are on both sides of the whole USTR, USTA argument. I like it as a, I like that as a facility because as you mentioned, sure, it might rain, but it doesn't last. You're going to be able to get tennis in. And if you, and especially once you move individuals, if you have unlimited time, I don't, so you take a day and a half of rain day, whatever, just wait it out, play outdoors. I mean, you're going to get your, it's, it doesn't just rain nonstop all day for days in a row uh, in Orlando. It, that yeah. just doesn't happen. No, it is hot as hell in Orlando. And you do wonder would the outdoor teams, again, they had an inherent advantage just from getting to practice outdoors more frequently. It's, it's probably best for college tennis long-term, for fans, for broadcasters, for everyone to know the one site that it, that's for the sport moving forward. That said, to your point, I don't feel particularly strongly because I do think there are Midwest fans who are more inclined to go to Champaign than they would be Orlando. I think there are people who will attend an event at Stanford more likely than they would in Orlando as well. I don't hate the idea of sharing the love. That said... Again, the idea of it being in Orlando has always appealed to me. That is the USTA National Campus. It's guaranteed we're going to have some sort of broadcasting capability. I am I am open to all ideas is what I'm saying. I have not heard a definitive argument one way or the other. I suppose that's where I stand. Now, again, I want to rapid fire through because we haven't talked to you since. we got a lot to discuss here and 27 minutes to go. Ben Shelton. All right. Ben Shelton was your most impressive player, most outstanding player. He ultimately wins the NCAA singles championship outside of him the player who impressed you most in champagne is on the men's side there's only one correct answer to this question I mean August Holmgren okay there's two correct answers that's not a bad one the answer is Gabriel Diallo who is just I mean he wins the 25k in East Lansing last week he you know, runs the table until the championship match against Virginia at the in Champaign and, you know, plays that match in the quarterfinals against Walton, which, in my opinion, was the best match of the NCAA individual singles tournament. August is great. If Diallo comes back, I mean, I know they have pro- they could have Draxel as well. It's not going to shock me if Diallo moves up to number one. I mean, fair. I mean, he's certainly got, you know, he certainly got the tools for the bigger upside. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we, we, you could see that from, from day one, it was just, you know, growing his game into the body. I mean, the kid. I mean, he's huge. He's got obviously got the big serve, big ground strokes. He's going to have weapons. Um, so a totally different, you know, contrasting game with Draxel, but, uh, but yeah, if he continues to grow to, you know, to mature his game along with, uh, and and get it up to the you know on par with with the body that he's got. Yeah, he's he's got he's got big upside. Yeah, I mean, there's a quote when Tyrion Lannister's talking to Jon Snow, season seven Game of Thrones shout out, where they're talking about Sansa Stark, who Tyrion was once upon a time married to, and it was like you know she's always smart, whatever. Like, but she you know kept the her intelligence to herself when she was younger, and it was like, Jon Stark's like, well, she's not doing that anymore. Like now we all know how smart she is. Now we all know how you know good she is. That's Gabriel Diallo. Where at first it was like, oh, like this guy can ball. And last year, obviously, 2021, he was an All-American in singles and doubles. But I just think he's taken that next leap forward next season. He's a guy I would be watching most closely. Was Harper Ciamara versus Cash Votzel 
actually the best match of the tournament, team or otherwise, on the men's side? I No. <laughs> oh, it was so good. I don't know. I might disagree. Good take, bad take, hot take is it was the best match. Good Is that a good take, a bad take, or a hot take? Yeah, I mean, I'm, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's so many good ones in yeah, there. That, it was really good. That that That's tough. But, uh, Shelton, yeah, I'm, Walton. I'm, I'm in, I'm very interested to see what happened. I mean, the, the none of the wild card stuff has happened for the U.S. Open, right? Nothing yet. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what what happens there. What's your What's your take? Who, do, it, you know, a are they giving Are they giving CMR the wild card because it's not a guarantee? But do they? And B, who do they offer with it? So I'm glad you brought this up. A, and I said this to the Harper parents, so I don't mind saying this on the pod. Isn't Cleve seemingly the most American-Canadian we have in what? college tennis? I was like, because I had to go back. I did a double take. I was like, wait, he's from Canada? Yeah, I was like, yeah. no, he's not. He was in Hilton Head. I was like, he's not Canadian. But it's like, no, he is Canadian. What I would do is I would say, hey, Robert Cash, I will be your Mate Votzel if you're Richard Ciamara. They're not giving it to Cleve. They should give it to Cash, a team of Cash and Ciamara. And certainly, if you're Ciamara, I'm calling Peyton Stearns tomorrow if he hasn't already and saying let's apply for a mixed doubles wild card because you won singles I won doubles maybe they'll give it to us in that case like I think that's worst case scenarios you can talk the USDA into an all Texas mixed doubles team I like think because I'm pretty sure CMR is in the real world now I forget what his actual job is but like he can stay in double shape for three months come on rich (laughs) yeah I don't I I think it's going to be interesting I think just I mean, just past history, you know, they have they've done it going back 10 years. You yeah. know, the, the all the occurrences that's happened. I think they do. I don't think they are. I don't think it's it's Robert Cash. There's not a lot of uh, I mean, I I think they're I would think in my mind they'll go bigger name. And frankly, I give it to Ben Shelton. Shelton and Ciamara. Yeah. Damn it. I hate when you I have mean, a good idea because I just feel like, why didn't I say that first? Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, that's another good per- – I think the all-Texas team, like that one is just scripted, right? Like how does he not get that mixed doubles wild card? If the U.S. Open cares about collegiate tennis, that's the obvious one. My, my other question, and I didn't even go back and look, did CMRA play with Neve at, uh, at Axe, Notre Dame? Uh, I don't – maybe. I don't think so though. I can't. I don't know who he played doubles with. No, there, he played so with I'm, Tristan. It was McCormick and. Oh, it was McCormick. Uh, yeah, so I was wondering. Yeah, maybe there's somebody that. But uh, but yeah, I I don't know. We'll see. all uh, in, all interesting thoughts. We'll see as we move forward. Yeah, Get closer absolutely. to U.S. Open. We'll see. All what right. Happens. Women's side is that the best tournament we've seen in ten years? Like that was ridiculous. The amount of four threes. Yeah, the, the, so many tight matches was crazy. I if we play that championship ten times, how many times does Texas win the title? Uh, like six. So you say majority, not plurality. Like, I don't know if I'm at six because if Pepperdine plays UNC outdoors, I think they may win. And I honestly think if any team was going to be Texas, it was going to be Pepperdine. And like uh, that in one of those scenarios, we stay outdoors and or at least like four of them. 
I don't know, man. It was really good. It yeah, was really good. It's good. Yeah, I definitely. It was de- definitely a lot of toss-ups. Okay, we talk about footnotes. I made this joke with Jay and Colette. Footnote championships and how, you know, I don't like to say asterisks, but there are footnotes attached to every championship, such as the fact that, you know, Riffis is up 5-2 on Montez when that match gets suspended due to weather. Obviously, Montez blitzes him when they come back out after that fact, but that's definitely a footnote you put. Like, that match was suspended due to weather. Who knows how it plays out if that match goes consecutively. In terms of footnote ratings, Emma Navarro beating Peyton Stearns 1-0. It's not like a significant footnote, but is that like, I'm never going to forget that. That's one of those results I'm putting in the brain. And it's that result in like, you know, Leo Hua beating Evan Zhu when we played him in the round of 16 in 2018 and being like, damn, is Leo the best player in the country? Sometimes he looks like it. Um, but that was just a footnote of all footnotes. That said... I think Peyton's top 100 good. I'm curious, like already. I'm curious if you're there. I don't know if I'm there yet, but it's it's so hard for me to judge because you know, on I will say this: unlike on on the men's side, where I I think it's almost an absolute must that you have a definitive weapon to be top 100 on the men's side. I mean, there are exceptions, but it's very very difficult to go without it. It's it. That's not the case on the women's side. You can be dead rock solid uh-huh. and be top hundred on the women's side because just because they you know they don't for the most part just overpower each other or you know you don't just run into somebody like oh my god stay away from that forehand you're never going to beat them right it just uh-huh. it's not a, it's not as big a thing so I don't I I think the I think it's probably an easier case to to make. But I don't know. I don't I mean, I don't I don't think yet. I think it's premature. But I think I think that if she were to just say, that's it, I'm done. Uh, you know, that's all I'm doing now that it, you know, it could be pretty quick. I'm thinking back in my time covering college tennis. And again, Sarah Davatilla was exceptionally well-rounded and obviously Stella was as well, just a warrior. And, you know, again, I can go further back in time as well. I just don't remember seeing a forehand as a weapon like we've seen from Peyton. I mean, people will say Jennifer Brady had that at UCLA. No, she didn't. Like, not the way Peyton can find it already. Not with the fluidity and just the ease of Peyton. And so I just I, – I think she's top 100 ready. I think this summer is going to go fast for her. The other permutation we should mention – if Richie is playing with Peyton and Ben wants to get in the mix, play with Jada Daniel. I mean, because Nell's British, and obviously, again, there's an opportunity there. Two college tennis teams now. That's asking for a lot. That's probably not going to happen. That's a pipe <laughs> yeah. dream here. But uh, just something to throw on, uh, out there. And again, fantastic tennis and champagne. Okay, 28 minutes. That's how you can tell Chris and I haven't chatted in a while here on the show. So we had some things to get into. Let's talk about the ITA. Well, it was like draft. 27 minutes, nine minutes ago. Now it's 28. It's yeah, bad no, math. No, no, no. Eight, Sorry, we're at, the tw- we're at the 28 minute mark of the show. We've got 18 minutes. Oh, I was saying we only have 18 left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. No, look, it will not be the first time I show up late to something Super Producer Daniel Westoff has asked me to do. So we're going to go overtime inevitably as we do here on the show. Sorry, Super Producer Westoff. All right. With all that said, did he stop the stop clock? I think I gave you your two minutes. Did did you hit everything? Did you get to say everything? I'm like, did I tell you my little brother's – my little brother made a superlative list for the his – 
standout features of Champagne in 2022, and his go-to, his probably two best jokes was he wants Draxel's hips and Botzer's practice schedule. He's like, those are the two things I would like the most. Um, those are the things I'm most impressed by. Um, so I thought you'd enjoy that joke there. Uh, anything else or did you hit it all? No, I think we, we, we probably covered most of it. All right. Um, yeah. With that in mind, then, let's move into recapping the 2023 ITA kickoff draft. And again, we're going to talk about this kickoff draft so much more as we head towards the start of the 2023 dual match season. We still don't know exactly what these rosters are going to look like at the start of the year. Now, certainly we got our first vibe for how these teams, these coaches feel about some of these other teams and some of the rumors we hear floating around perhaps indicated in the picks we saw some of these teams make. Not going to go through every host region, not going to recap each and every pick of the draft. Let's just start here. Five of the first eight teams elect to go to Baylor and Wake Forest, Chris. And you look at that Wake Forest region. I mean, it is loaded. Middle Tennessee, who, yeah, loses a bunch of their top guys, but obviously coming off of a program-defining season. You have a Duke team that's bringing just about everyone back in their circled sleeper to make another jump next season. Auburn already showed what it was capable of throughout the course of last year. They bring back just about everyone to next year's lineup as well. Of course, you look on the Baylor side, San Diego, Florida State, Arizona State, as you pointed out in your tweet, Cassone, Boitan, uh, Kovunk, whatever for Florida State. Did it shock? I mean, that's that's probably headline number one where we have to start. Did that shock you? Those first five of eight to go to those two top ten sites, or you know, was it something else that surprised you most? Uh, I, I, I'm not shocked that Wake filled up like like they did. Frankly, I was shocked that Baylor filled up. I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure I get it. They got two outstanding recruits coming. Yes. You know, you, you, you say goodbye to Soto and law, but, uh, I think what's, I think as you talked about some of the things maybe floating around, uh, between the coaches and rumors out there is, uh, in this case, not that the player is leaving the team, but the fact that, um, you know, maybe Boyton's not going to be playing the kickoff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that, that may be in the plans that, that he's not. So if you take him out and the other two in the top three gets a little tougher, but as a team, when, when you lose, you take your two and three out, but you bring everybody back and bring in a couple big recruits, man, I don't, I don't think they deserve to be picked. You know, I, I don't think come the end of the season we're going to say, oh yeah, they're the second worst team in the top fifth, top fifteen. <laughs> no, yeah. that's not the case. Well, I think when you look at the Wake side, they lose Banthea, who's transferred to Cal. They lose Body, who has headed off to uh, Kentucky. They lose Kungu for sure as well. Draper gone for sure as well. Um, uh, Karamov, I have no idea about. Estafalu, I have no idea about. Nava is gone from their team this season. Schneider is gone from their team this season. Now, look, Tony Bresky is going to go recruit Alcaraz, Sinner, you know, Jack Draper, and he's going to find out Tim Van Reithoven after last week actually has one year of eligibility left, and they'll be fine 
come this season. But to your point, I agree with you. The Wake Forest filling up first, and I should have said this at the start, your 15 host sites, and I don't think it's been officially reported. A little breaking news here. Men's event's going to be at Midtown in, in Chicago, Illinois. As such, University of Illinois going to play host. They get that automatic 16th bid. Your 15 host sites, Virginia, Florida, TCU, Baylor, Ohio State, Tennessee, Kentucky, Michigan, Wake Forest, South Carolina, Georgia, Texas, USC, North Carolina, and Stanford. Of those 15 teams, I think we agree. Wake Forest, probably the region you have to circle first. That said, who would you have gone to second? Going North into Carolina. This? Are they, were they the clear? And Harvard, by the way, first pick of the kickoff draft, elects to go to North Carolina. Columbia follows. There's their second site. Oklahoma State, a dangerous four there as well. Year two, Dustin Taylor. You actually know who's on your roster heading into the fall. It's going to just be a faster start for the Cowboys next season. I mean, okay. Like, again, then that's where – so what surprised you? Again, did anything really surprise you throughout the course of this? Um, yeah, I mean, well – Or what were your takeaways? Because do you want some of my takeaways to play off of? Would that be well, easier so, for you? So, the, okay, one, one of the takeaways, like – Yeah, let's just play the game here. Like – Yeah. People picking – I mean, the early picks to Stanford, right, tell me that all the coaches believe Arthur Ferry's not coming back. And they already lose Geller. They lose Rotsart. There might have been another – I don't know what size. I think he – I mean, he may have left already. But there's always another senior floating near the bottom of that roster. That's at Basing, obviously great. They bring in Banerjee. They bring in Bosveretti. That said, yeah, Pepperdine 24, AM 25 over to stand again to get two and three before, you know, Michigan, Tennessee, Kentucky, yeah. USC, any of these schools have one. More, Go ahead. More surprises to me. Like I I feel like there's some uh, there's some known, some known non-public information potentially with USC. Like tons of respect for USC. Yeah. Uh who I don't know that there's been anything announced as far as, you know, huge monster recruits or anything like that, but all the way to number 42 before anybody even goes there. And on top of that, you know, you run through a lot of teams that want that particularly want to play outdoors. Yeah. Uh, so, so the holding off there, I, you know, that, that to me was, I think a little bit surprising I disagree. Shout out to me. I said USC is in my preseason top five. And why? Because everyone's back. Like, again, this team, all the freshmen last year, Merrick and Mock and Colby, they're a year more experienced. You know, Ludd is back. Obviously, Destanich back up the top. I know they lose Ryder Jackson. I don't remember if Fry has one more. I think he actually does, though. Um, so that would be another one who has one more as well. It's just like, and there, there are some recruits coming in as well. They've got pieces. Like, that is a team that pushed Ohio State to the brink in the round of 16 and clearly got better as the season went on. I did understand the respect there. The one, so two picks that shocked me the most. Arizona to Texas and NC State to South Carolina. 
Arizona to Texas to pull that trigger as soon as they did. That was obviously the more surprising of the two. But NC State, because South Carolina again, they're bringing back the top four: Thompson, Lambling. Uh, yeah, we should we should hit Spencer up on the NC State because I was with you there. That seemed from a from a travel perspective, I get it. But wow, that was really early to take a team that's got everybody back. That's what, that's what shocked me is that it's like I know you're bringing back the gang as well, but. We're really just going to – like because, again, who's open at that time? Everyone but Texas and North Carolina. And of the 14 other teams, they're a lot good, but they don't look at Stanford. They don't you know, look at North Carolina and say, you know what? We feel we can beat Harvard and North Carolina at the start of next season. We're just going to go there right away. They choose South Carolina like that. And I believe – is South Carolina playing indoors or outdoors? It looks like they're playing indoors, indoors given the lack of sunshine. Yeah, next them. And indoors. shout out – by the way – Shout out to Slam Tennis. You can't follow the kickoff draft without it. Best in the business. One of my favorite resources. Cannot thank them enough. But that's literally, sorry, we're putting our on the table. Like, that's what NC State just did there. I kind of love it. That's an indoor play. That's like a, we think we can beat you indoors. Yeah, well, definitely they wanted to be indoors. And, you know, when you looked at that point in time, I'm still... I'm still surprised. Like, why not Wake Forest? Yeah, yeah. good call. I mean, At that moment, Wake Forest open. Yeah, you 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 get also your indoors. Wake Forest or South Carolina, and you pick South Carolina. Like, that's the we know Tony's got two top seven hundred guys already on the hook. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know? that's what we're insinuating from that. I mean, yeah, you know, maybe they know something. I don't know. Again, yeah. there's all kinds of things that go into these decisions. And everybody knows Tony's Tony's a great recruiter. And, he's, you know, if he needs it, he's going to find some some really experienced and, and highly ranked guys, either, you know, ITF men's or ITF juniors, either way, but guys that he can get get eligible. So maybe that went into it. Maybe they just, you know, maybe they really like, their matchups with South Carolina. Maybe they think Rodriguez isn't coming back. I don't know. I it just, but it was a little baffling for sure. Yeah. Uh, the the other thing that just I think annoys me more than anything is because I sort of agree with the respect. I just don't like it, and that is nobody wants to go to Ohio State. Yeah. So I, so let's do that next because I had a couple more things for you and top teams I wanted to talk about. They're one of them. And okay. I had this conversation with an unnamed head coach earlier today about the Buckeyes. Yes, they bring back Kingsley. Yes, they bring back Tracy. It is still going to Columbus, which again, Virginia in the COVID year, Alex Galea. That's who's beaten them in Columbus. That's it. Like during this Tucker reign. That said, they lose Votzel. They lose Van Emberg. Now, you imagine, I, I think Trotter, Blay, and Cash are all back, and they'll be a year healthier. Certainly, Anthrop comes in as well. You bring in an Alex Bernard, blue-chip recruit. You bring in a Preston Stearns, who I guarantee everyone will be redshirted next season, but is also a blue-chip recruit. On paper, the Buckeyes still a tough out in Columbus, but 44 is not the first time I thought they would be selected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just, it is, it's cut. That, that's it's not even about the tennis at that point. It's the yeah. fact that you're playing indoors at Columbus and you 100%. know how that's going to go. And I don't need to say a whole lot more than that. <laughs> well, I thought I thought A&M at 25 was the one to circle. I thought like A&M might push it because they've got a bunch of returners. They've got a bunch of depth like, OK, maybe Cannon beats Schachter at one. 
Tracy versus whomever at two is a battle, but like we think we can battle you everywhere. You just you just wanted to see JJ Wolf and and Patrick Kipson all over the again. rematch. No, there's some history there. I mean, Ohio State and AM have played each other traditionally in home and homes throughout the course of the years. That's why I thought they may put that on the schedule. Now it may already be on the schedule, and so Denton was like, nah, I'm good. Uh, like I don't need to go there twice. Um that was interesting. I mean, look, the respect for Kentucky, well warranted. Georgia seemed like they were getting a ton of respect, and obviously they're bringing in a ton of talented freshmen, headlined by, of course, Ethan Quinn, who was a redshirt last season. Then there was a quick run on them. Let's have the Florida conversation quickly, because we know Riffis, Andrade, Vale, Seymour, Goodger, gone. Yeah. Shelton has made every indication that he plans on coming back. I truly, in my heart of hearts, believe that results will dictate he will not be able to come back because it'll be like, dude, you're 150 in the world and you have no points to defend until May. Go pro. Like, you just have to do it because you're ready. It's time. That said, he's very comfortable. Obviously, he has a girlfriend, has his family, all at the University of Florida. We're not going to play a game of Speculation Jones with Ben. They bring in Axel. You have, uh, you have Shelby. You have um, my boy Lucas Greif. This is his moment. This is what he's been waiting for. You have Benetto coming back as well. There are pieces there. You're not going to doubt the Florida Gators with the success they've had not only over the past two seasons but throughout Coach Shelton's tenure. That said, I mean SMU, Mississippi State, South Florida feels like it feels a little light. Like again, I I expected. Uh, I expected a headliner team or maybe even a Florida state to choose to go there and take them on. Yeah. You, you definitely expected someone to, to take their chance there. I mean, I was, I, I was talking to, to folks, as you can imagine, and, and texting you about that during the draft. And, and I, I was goading them, please, you have to go to Florida. Like, how do you not take Florida? We know they're going to be good, but come on, they've got basically six guys on the roster and two recruits. That's the entire team. And of the six guys on the roster, only two of them have played full time because I'll call Benetto a halftimer. And then uh, Will Grant doesn't hasn't played singles. Shelby didn't play singles. Greif hasn't played singles. Abdullah played a little bit, though. I I would Uh, point out he was pretty solid at six. Uh, You know, Greif hasn't played in a couple of years. And then you bring in the kid from Thailand and you bring in baby Braswell. uh, You know, yeah. Oh, Jonah Braswell is another good call. It's, no, I, I mean, that's a, it's, it, if you're going to stack of these teams up and you look at that and then to your point, everybody in, everybody in college tennis knows that as of now, the plan, you know, is that Ben's coming back, but there's always, you know, all things can always change. And if Ben goes out and wins a round or two rounds in the U S open, uh, you know, does he then say, well, now's the time not to mention that, you know, everything he's got right now, point wise, other than the challenger, he just played right after NCAAs and little rock rolls off this year. He's got to take advantage of the points he's got now and put some up and you don't want to get stuck in, you don't want to get stuck in a, in a case where you basically have to start all over at the futures again. So I, I think there's a chance, you know, like, as you said, it'll be, it'll be results oriented. I know they're very high on him getting the education. They want him to get his education. It they would have to be a Shelton very, family. very compelling case for him to leave. Uh, 
but even if he's back, like you said, you got it's Shelton Neve, and then like if I if I just hid those names from you and told you, hey, my lineup as the number two seed is Benetto at three, Shelby at four, Greif at five, Grant at six. Are you scared? No, I mean, especially not early in the season, no. And so that's why I thought they'd go, someone would go take a shot. I agree with yeah. you. I was surprised that no one made that choice. All right, we'll wrap the ITA kickoff draft weekend talk here. And by the way, I'm dragooning you for tomorrow's podcast where we talk about the women's kickoff draft. And then our opening tangent will actually be the pro tennis player results because notice how we've talked about none of them here on this show thus far. No Duarte Valle talk. No August Holmgren talk. Shout out Gage Brimer. Shout out Bjorn Svensson. Win over Boyton is the best. Oh, I was going to make a Michigan lineup joke that is not appropriate for on air. So I'll save it off air for you. Um, did I send you that joke yet? No. Okay, no. Well, I'll save it for the off-air. Um, and I still want to ask you about some coaching things. God. Sorry, West off. Um, all right. Top five regions right now. Way too early. Top five most entertaining regions. We concede Wake Forest probably number one, right? Has to be. Oh, yeah. that That's going to be a – that's a great region. North Carolina, too? Yeah, great region. Now, the funny thing with North Carolina, as we sat Who, there by forever, the way, North was, Carolina, Harvard, Columbia, Oklahoma State. Yeah, you got Harvard and Columbia fairly quickly, mm-hmm. and then being still on paper to me the second weakest, you know, region, the 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 most likelihood of somebody getting through. But once that two and three went in there with good teams in Harvard and Columbia, everybody that had to pick had to make the choice. Wow, it might be the most winnable region. But it might also be the most likely place to go zero and two. Yeah, I think because you weren't can... getting a weak match in your second match, no matter what, with you getting the losing loser of Harvard and Columbia. So, yeah. so that was an interesting play. But yeah, I think that's that's a good that's a solid two. And I think all four teams go into the weekend saying we can go two and zero, which is always an exciting thing. <sighs> Three Baylor. Yeah, I very yeah ab- absolutely especially. Especially with, uh, you know, I, it'll Frisky be interesting Florida to see what, hap- what comes in at Arizona State. You know, Matt Hill is going to be, you know, he's he's always got some tricks up his sleeve as well. Um, so, and just the fact that they'll have Murphy Cassone up up at the top. And, and yeah, Florida State's going to be a much improved team. It'll be, you know, bringing in, you know, or getting Antoine to be able to play this year. He was already there, just, you know, not eligible this year. Uh, and, you know, San Diego's got a bunch of recruits. Obviously, you don't have Holmgren, but and then, a, a you know, on paper, a slightly weaker Baylor. Yeah, very, very interesting region to me. All right. Now four and five get tricky. Georgia, there's just a lot of unprovenness. It's like LSU. No lost chance. A Georgia lot. Cake, yeah, Georgia's yeah. cakewalking through that region. Stanford. Yeah, that's that. Stanford's in, very interesting to me because, A, we don't know about Ferry. I I take it from the picks that there's a good chance Ferry doesn't come back. No Ferry, no Rotzer, no Geller. Interesting. Obviously, still some stud recruits coming in. Yeah, they have to be the favorite, but that that's a that's a good region. 
Yeah, no, Boss Ferretti again once described by Milan Hurrian as the best 15-year-old I've ever seen. Literally goes, is this guy Novak Djokovic? And for the first three games of the match, it really did look like it. Um, yeah, Pepperdine, obviously still a ton of players coming back from this season. They've just got a bunch of different guys. A&M, one of the teams that I think is going to take a big leap forward, and they are going to be next season, in my opinion, what Michigan was this season and the team building for that next year as well. All right, is five Florida just by virtue of like the unknown? I, you know, it's, it's to me, it's a toss up between there and NC State, VCU at South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- both of those, but I think, I think we have to put Florida in there. Yeah. For in, in the way too early, cl- you know, you know, classification just because. We have no clue what the not not only what the lineup, but what the roster is going to look like. Is are the eight guys that we just talked about really it? I can't believe that's going to be it. There's going to be something else coming, but that we don't know. But but yeah, that's a you know that's going to be an interesting one. It it definitely. I the problem is yes, they you wanted that you would had to assume someone would you know teams would pick on them. But as you said, it feels like kind of a weaker set that picked on them and they still don't look all that vulnerable. (laughs) No, I mean, yes, yes to all of it. And again, we still don't even know what these rosters are going to look like. So we will continue to monitor the kickoff draft. But that is what happened on Wednesday. Of course, again, women's kickoff draft tomorrow. We'll talk about that result. We'll talk about the actual pro results we saw as well. Let's end quickly with some coaching news, although we can do this again tomorrow as well. I mean, a bunch of dominoes have come off the board. Danny Bryan, LSU, let's start there. Your thoughts? Ah, uh, no brainer. I mean, I, I I thought Danny Bryan, you know, to me, the guys that made the most sense, Danny Bryan, who, you know, had been there under Jeff Brown before, or a Mark Boris, who's in the area at Tulane, both great coaches, both great guys. Either one would, I, I would have no issue with either one of them. So I think that's a no brainer. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Um, and certainly Taylor Fogelman, LSU women. I think that's a great hire as well. Just a guy who obviously back-to-back national championships. He's coming off of Harry Jaden, Michigan State. We love that here at Crack Rackets. Obviously, Harry, near and dear friend of the show. I just, I can't imagine there being a better fit, right? Like, I think that was the best candidate. Oh, there's no doubt. The questions when it when it happened were all, wow, he just left to go to Illinois. Is he really going to be <laughs> Like, did he ever even meet the players? I mean, um, well, I'll let him answer that question, but the answer is yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, no, I mean, again. Yeah, clearly the this. best fit. That's it. You know, schools like they like to bring back guys for their coaches that have ties to the program, whether it be they played there, they coached there, uh, you know, something. And, you know, frankly, where Michigan State tennis has been, there just aren't that many former players that are out there in the coaching world uh, right now. And that you couldn't have found a better fit. Yeah, of course. Uh, And again, it's going to be interesting to see who gets the assistant job there. There's a lot of assistant jobs still floating around out there with Danny Bryan going to Wichita, uh, leaving Wichita State. I think we can say, and we're going to beat Parsa to it, we have both heard Daryl Glavin, of course, the assistant at Miami, linked to that job. And I've now heard it from multiple sources here, Chris. Sounds like that's going to be the pick. 
Yeah, I, it, yeah, that's, you know, not not surprising at all. <laughs> you know, hearing when I hear that, my first thought is, holy cow, poor, poor Al Hosapirich at, at Miami has like he can't keep an assistant there. Guys, <laughs> he's he's good. He might as well just uh, at the start of every year, just just send an email out to all the guys that he knows. Hey, who's interested? <laughs> Counterpoint, he picks them really well, clearly, yeah. if they're all going to keep rocking and rolling. Um, All right. Yeah. You look there. Purdue still open. The name I keep hearing is Jeff Young associated with that. Obviously, we heard a lot of Chris James talk early as well, but we'll keep our eye on that. San Diego getting filled. Obviously, they uh, they promote their assistant to the full-time head coaching job. You always love to see that. What am I missing? What are the jobs that are still floating around out there? I mean, there obviously have been others as well. The LSU men's assistant still open. Oh, shout out Peter Cobelt getting that full-time job. Going to go be the assistant at Nebraska. Well-deserved there also. Am I missing anything else? I'm sure we are. A hundred percent. Yeah, there's been a million. A million. I, yeah, there have, been, there have been so many uh, that, uh, that I'm sure something's— Should that, that I beat— should I beat Parsa to it here on this podcast so that people who listen will be like, he beat you on the show? I guarantee it's going to be Tim Kapinski for the Illinois assistant job. Just lock it in. It's going to be Tim Kapinski. If you're listening to fifty, the 54th minute of this show, you deserve that nugget. So, yeah, Tim Kapinski is going to be the pick. I'll just I'll have to rely on your uh, your Illinois knowledge there. Yeah, I'm, I'm very certain that it's going to be Tim Kapinski, uh, who's coming over from Charlotte, right? if memory serves me correct. That's where he was this past season, I believe, and he obviously was a former standout. He and Ross Guillaume, top five doubles team in the country uh, for the Illini once upon a time. Yeah, that's a, that's a great opening. Um, I'm sure we're missing more. And again, that's what tomorrow's for. As now you learn, I've had so much fun with Chris Hallyors back on the show. We're going to do a part two of this episode. Now, I don't know if he's actually free tomorrow. It may end up being me with John Parsons, but hopefully, Chris, you will be back. And by the way, the green screen right now, I can see it behind your hair. It's magical. Uh, this is a great look for you. You are you are actually glowing right now. And, oh, that uh, is so cool. Yeah, it's not just the jawline, my friend. You are Ooh. glowing right now. And so, again, with all of that said... Do we? I mean, we didn't talk about the the college ties on the pro tour. We will get to that tomorrow. I do apologize. It's been a while since Chris and I have had an hour to catch up like this. So, any final thoughts before we rock and roll? Yeah, no, yeah. Let's let's see what happens with the uh, the women tomorrow, and uh, I'll I'll find some time to join you. And that's the good news is now I have some time to research. And this is a college tennis ranks update. Is the tracker ready to go, or or should we just be teasing it right now? Yeah. So I, I'm I'm teasing it because well, a I, I am certain that the the piece that I teased, I can get up. But what all I've got out of that is is the WTA because they are by far the easiest source to get data from. Getting data from the ATP or ITF is like, I mean, almost virtually impossible. I mean, it can be done, but it's not easy. So, uh, you know, so so the women's fans who feel slighted uh, most of the time from from what I do, just because it's not my area of expertise. Um, you know, you may get the benefit here, but yeah, we will, I will definitely be rolling that, that will be rolling out very soon live on the site, uh, where we've, where we show, uh, all tournaments current this weekend last from the ATP level, along with any players in them with college ties and their results. So that's very, 
very cool and helpful to keep up with who you can go watch and what they're doing. There's no better feeling for me than when I get that 1.52 p.m., which is clearly when you're eating lunch, text from you when you're like, hey, I was thinking, where can I scrape this data from? And I go, Chris, <laughs> Chris. This is not a question for me. I go, who are you talking to? I always, so you know, so I'm gonna, because uh, obviously we're on the broadcast tomorrow for the Baylor tennis camp, which we're very excited for. And some of you, uh, if you want to tune into that, you really do love us. But of course, that's an opportunity to highlight this for the, the kids competing at these camps and you know having fun. Just a great opportunity for them to showcase their stuff. Point being, and I don't feel bad conveying this here on the podcast because I don't think he would mind me sharing this quote. Of course, it was off the record, but this is a great story. So, and again, I don't think he'll mind. Uh, I told him we were because we were figuring out the format for the broadcast tomorrow and we had it all figured out. And I was like, all right, I'll, you know, put everything together, put it in an email and send that all over to you later today. And he goes, you mean Westoff will figure it all out, <laughs> put it all together and send me an email later today. I was like, well, coach, if you know that, then why are we even having this conversation? That's exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. And lo and behold, it was Westoff who ended up sending the email. So shout out as always to super producer Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making my life possible at this point. With all that said, I don't think Coach Woodson will get mad at sharing that, right? That makes no, him look no. hilarious. Yeah. yeah, that's just smart man. He figured this out. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, yeah. All, any final thoughts though? No, no. I've got, you know, it's a uh, I'm excited for, for some of this off season to see what, what happens, excited to see some of these guys. I feel, it feels to me like, I, I don't know. It's a good tease. It, it feels like there are more, more college guys at higher levels in these pro tournaments now than, you know, we've had in the past. You, it seems, I, I just feel like, Five, six years ago, we were talking about guys trying to grind out a couple points out of futures. And now we're seeing like multiple, multiple guys getting to play challengers and, you know, women and some of the ladies in higher level uh, tournaments. I mean, there's just it seems like the opportunities here uh, are not, hey, can I make quarters of a futures, which used to be huge. Right. You, Oh, man, I got two points. I got to the quarters of futures now. Now we're getting guys, you know, like Murphy Cassone showing up and and making huge runs in the first tournament. I mean, no, it's, it's it's crazy. We talked about it all year long. The depth, the level of play in college tennis has never been better. And yeah, like you've got Alexi Galarno chopping it up on the Challenger Tour, and you just got all these guys like the Jubs of the world who are all on the rise. It's a really fun time. I mean, Ryan Ryan Penniston just keeps beating top hundred guys. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. There's no tomorrow. Now he beats number five. You know, here's you gave me your funny stories. Here's the best one I had after that. I I had to, you know, I had to call and I was like, man, try call my nephew Trevor, right? Coach at Liberty. And I say, mm-hmm. did you see Penniston today? Like it's he's been beating these, you know, guys that are top hundred, but number five today. This is ridiculous. He keeps winning. And he goes, you know. The guy, and when he says the guys, that's the all the guys from you know Nick Strali, Nuno himself. He's like, we were all just talking about it, and I don't know if it was wh- whether it was like freshman year, sophomore year, whatever. Nick played Penniston in a futures. <laughs> oh and oh, Nick, Nick won. Beat him. <laughs> Nick beat him. Oh and oh, he's like, we're all laughing. Like Nick beat him. Oh and oh, and now the guy's beating top five in the world. It's just, I mean, it's crazy. 
can you imagine what Inyaki Montez would have done to senior year Strali? Like, <laughs> God, that would have just been painful for all of us to watch. Uh, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And again, that's why we have a part two for all of you tomorrow where we'll talk about the pros having success on tour. With all of that said, four are fantastic contributor Chris Hallioris, our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends over at Turner. And by the way, shout out to our friends at Turner. Email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today. And from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always, my friend. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.